my school ran a competition for someone to, one of the students, to design a mural. And I drew this mural of uh, someone pouring a bucket of paint and uh, that like splashed out into a rainbow of colors. And my mother was just horrified. I was like, you, you can't submit that at school. People will think you support gay rights. Hello, I'm Eden, and this is Keep the Mess, Messy Conversations with Messy People, where we have conversations about how we relate to our bodies and go down whatever rabbit holes we find. I started this podcast because I'm a bit obsessed with this topic. I struggle with embodiment myself and want to learn about how other people live in and out of their bodies. I figured if I'm interested in these things, chances are that others are also interested. So welcome, fellow obsessives. In this episode, I speak with my friend Cloud. This episode was recorded September 20, 2022. This is the first time I've done one of these long distance, and given that this is a podcast about bodies, I was concerned about how that could lead to a more disconnected conversation, as nothing can really replace the feeling of another person in the room. However, I think we did pretty well, which I think is due to most of our relationship being long distance, and that we have been friends for over a decade. We had a lot of fun chatting, as these are well-worn topics between Cloud and myself, and yet every time we talk, our perspectives evolve and we understand and learn new things about ourselves and each other. We talk about trauma, religion, body image, gender, sexuality, as well as mental health. Content warning for emotional and spiritual abuse, as well as homophobia and transphobia. Also spoilers for the movie Imitation Game. And lastly, I want to remind people that just because I have someone on this podcast doesn't mean I agree with them on all matters, or even many. These episodes are not about facts or saying things perfectly, but about people's stories, their experiences, their processing. Connecting and communicating with ourselves and each other is a messy affair, so I ask for a listening ear and some grace. All right, here's my interview with Cloud. So yeah, first question is how do we know each other? So, we met each other uh, in college. We both went to the same school. And I do not have an exact, crisp, clear memory of how exactly we first met each other. But I know that we were friends with some of the same people. Uh, And one of those people in particular had quite a wide social circle. Um, And she happened to be someone... I was not rooming with her at the time. I honestly actually don't even remember how I knew her. I met her somehow. You knew and she her a... because you had the same major, I think. Right? Probably. Uh, yeah. And it turned out she was also involved in a Bible study group. I will clarify and say that it was a prayer group. Oh. That... That is true. And specifically, this is why the prayer group thing is important. Uh, At the end, like we brought up prayer requests and you said, I really need housing because your friend group had broken up and it had been really traumatic. And then the current housing that you had was not good either. Yeah, it wasn't great. (laughs) I was very lucky because I did. Yeah, because... I and then two friends of mine needed another person. 
and yeah, that it ended up being perfect. Yeah, it worked really well, and we were housemates for two years. Mm-hmm. And I'll specify that we we met each other pre any form of transition. Also. Oh yes. Oh yeah. In and in many ways, actually. Yeah, in many ways, and um, at least for me, like pre any sort of identifying as queer in any way um that didn't happen until after we had met each other yeah i was the first one of our our friend group (laughs) yeah you were which i find wild because i was the first one to come out as queer but the last one to come out as trans that yep (laughs) yes that is true (sighs) but yeah we'll get in we'll get into that more later that's been really funny uh to watch that happen but yes all right second question how would you introduce yourself what is important for others to know about you and understand about you uh well uh first of all my name uh my name is cloud like a cloud in the sky sometimes people do a little bit of a double take when they hear my name and and they think it must be like spelled funny or something i'm like no no like exactly what you think uh you know like a rain cloud in the sky um i am a queer person uh i am a transgender person uh and i also identify as non-binary and i use neutral pronouns so they them uh what else is important to know about me yeah i mean it's very hard um I, I mean, like all people, I, I'm i complex. Uh, there are a lot of different facets of my life that it's a little hard to boil down. Um, when I think of myself, I think of myself as someone who loves stories. Mm. Uh, I think of myself as an artist. Mm. I am also an atheist, uh, which uh, is uh, something that is definitely not the norm uh, in society. So um, that's another uh, part of my identity and probably will end up coming up anyway in the course of this um, because as we sort of talk about me and and how we know each other and my life over the past few years, um, religion Mm -hmm. and my sort of journey away from it uh, plays a large part in that. Yeah. Being an artist is something that I have always, always been very deeply ever since I was a child. But unfortunately, is something that I have not had a chance to really explore and develop very much as an adult. And that's something that I have been trying to make more space for lately. Mm. Yeah, I remember you talking a lot about your regrets of not going to art school. Yeah. Although I did actually have an interesting realization very, very Mm. recently, like within the past month or so. I went back on the advice of my therapist and uh, looked into perhaps going back to art school, which unfortunately Mm. the particular school that I really, really wanted to go to, it 
it's not really feasible to be a part-time student there, which is a shame. Um, but, you know, after that and, and talking to my therapist about, you know, how bitter and angry I felt about having missed what I felt was my one shot, I then realized, a bit grudgingly, <laughs> of course, over the next few weeks, that I would have had a similar regret if I had gone to that school, which was one that I was considering going to uh, back in high school. Hmm. I would have had a similar regret if I had chosen to go to that school and not to study literature, which is what I ended up doing uh, in liberal hmm. arts college. Um, because that art school is very much a trade school. Like, it, it doesn't offer... Mm -hmm. like anything apart from art uh, i mean i think there there are a few things thrown in like art history and uh, you know theory of art and stuff like that but i never would have gotten a chance to to study literature the way that i did i would have had to like <laughs> be a dual student at like two colleges or something like that which i i never could have pulled off um and i would have had this i'm not sure if it would have been the same level of regret I still would have had some regret, though. And I realized that and that it was never going to be easy. It was never going to be as easy as making the one single right binary choice. I was mm. always going to have to go through the extra effort of uh, study on my own uh, or going back to school or, or kind of a hybrid of both, uh, as it turns out mm. a little bit. Um, you know, later on in life. It was never it was never going to be a single, you know, easy, go to college, get a four-year degree, bing, bang, boom, no regrets. That wasn't going to happen. Yeah, I feel like this, just you saying it was never going to be easy and it was never going to be, in my mind, I think of like, it's, it was never going to be simple, right? Yes, it was never going to be I simple. And like, I feel like that fits your life trajectory <laughs> in many ways. So many ways. And of course, it's a little frustrating from the inside because I've, I'm me. And so, of course, I don't think of myself as like uh, an unusual person or, you know, someone with <laughs> like, I, uh, of course, I'm the most normal person ever because... I live my own experience. It's the one I'm most used to. So, of course, of course, everyone likes many, many different topics with, you know, deep levels of interest and passion. And of course, everybody has complicated feelings about their <laughs> their gender and their sexual orientation, of course. So, yeah, I'll, I'll get to the the major question that we have which is how do you relate to your body and how have the different experiences you've had affected how you relate to your body? Which is, I know, a very general big question, but I know that you have so many rich experiences that you can, you can talk about with this. Yeah, it's, there are so many different parts of of an answer to this question that uh, I'll have to think about where exactly to start. 
Um, I mean, I guess chronologically is fine. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I was, you know, in the in the parlance, assigned female at birth. Um, you know, uh, when I was when I was, you know what though. <laughs> Back it up a second, though, because this whole story <laughs> starts before I was born. Um, I, I was not, like, aware of this until, uh, like, I asked. Um, but, it, like, it turns out that uh, even just 30 years ago when I was born, um, like, doctors did way less ultrasounds, apparently. Um, mm. Now I'm used to hearing stories from pregnant people about, like, you know, oh yeah, we we just got another ultrasound and blah blah blah, and it seems impossible to me that people wouldn't know mm. uh, the physical characteristics of a baby that we usually use to assign sex at birth um, before mm. the child was born, unless they specifically told like the doctor that they didn't want to know, which I know some people do. But um, I really do believe that my mother did not know um, whether she mm. was having a boy or a girl. I, don't cancel me. I'm just going to keep it simple for for <laughs> parlance, but you guys know what I mean. Like, she she really didn't know. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it was, like, she did, like, the ring on a string or something like that, like an old wives thing or something like that, but she just was absolutely thoroughly convinced she was going to have a boy. Like, to the point where she mm-hmm. bought, like what would like boy stuff you know like for me before i was born um so like growing up uh like i had a blue baby blanket and then of course when my younger brother was born they had to get him a green one because otherwise ours would both be the same Mm. uh so like i uh, apparently i mean i was too young to remember what clothes i wore but apparently she was so convinced that she like went out and bought boy stuff uh, and then I popped out and uh, the doctors and everybody said I very much was not a boy. It was a girl instead. Um, and so, yeah, really the whole gender uh, thing started even before I was born when I was still in the womb. Mm-hmm. My mom just convinced uh, that uh, I was going to be a boy. And then uh, I was apparently a girl instead. Um and uh, then I did have a younger brother. I only have one sibling um, who is a couple years younger than me. And yeah, I feel like a lot of stuff happened when I was a little kid. And I do not have a lot of like super clear childhood memories. But from a very like a pretty early age i remember a couple things i remember being very curious um i loved going to the library and checking out um like you know uh these little science books that they had for kids on various topics um i learned to read fairly early also although it was a little bit of an unfair contest um because I was on the older side of my class. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Which is true of both of us, in fact. Yeah, it makes for a kind of interesting experience. It, it might see, like, when I say, like, oh, yeah, like, I, I was, like, one of the first people in my kindergarten class who could read, but I was also one of the oldest. So, like, 
kind of mm-hmm. probably figures, right? You know, when you think about it. But I loved reading books and I loved to draw. Uh, I was like drawing and, you know, constantly. Um, and I, I also just loved, I don't know, what I might call like razzle-dazzle. Um, glitter and rainbows, <laughs> and it's true, I did. You were queer from a young age. I mean, kind of, but before, <laughs> like, at a young age, at an age young enough that, um, nobody really thought of it that way. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, this was back in the age of Lisa Frank. I remember getting Lisa Frank everything because it had rainbows and bright colors and glitter and Oh gosh, I for I forget. Yeah, as someone who didn't know. grow up in America, right. what is Lisa Frank? So back in the '90s, when I was a kid, um, it was a company that made. You almost have to Google it to understand what it was, but um, it was these like stylized, like uh, like um, vector art. So like art where one color doesn't blend into another. It has like the like sh- all bunch of shapes, like a paint by number, mm-hmm. but mm, they were very okay. bright colors. And it was all of like kittens and dogs and tigers and dolphins. It was the most nineties thing ever. And it was all of these, <laughs> the brightest possible rainbow colors that like super saturated, like orange and magenta and, mm-hmm. and bright blue. Um, it was, it was candy for a kid. Like it was perfect. Um, and you you get all sorts of crafts like needlepoint and paint by numbers and sand art and you know all that stuff. Um, uh, yeah, I I just loved that, and I was always someone who was drawn to extravagance. Is kind of the best way to put it. Like I remember as a kid, like once. I decided I wanted my room to be ocean themed and I like drew and colored in like enough like marker fish that I could cover my whole wall in them. And I, Mm. you know, like remember another time where like, I like just, I wanted to like create like a mansion like for uh, like my, you know, toys to live in and like making like a whole elaborate house out of like you know uh construction paper and cardboard toilet paper tubes Mm. and stuff like that um like i i just i loved that that sense of like very much not a minimalist like a very like maximalist Mm. sense and that was when i was a young kid um, so like in kindergarten and early elementary school and, uh, you know, kids grow up and by the time I was, you know, hitting puberty, getting into like pre-middle school and middle school, things really changed. Uh, and I remember, uh, like very much like pushing things out of my life that were associated with femininity. Um, Mm. I wouldn't go near anything that was pink. I wouldn't touch anything that had, you know, glitter or sequins, no florals, nothing. 
I, um, <laughs> like, uh, like I had a hoodie with dragons on it. Uh, that was as close as my like conservative family would like allow me to get to being punk. And like, I only, I remember like right around the time, like all the girls were discovering sort of like fashion and makeup for the first time. I was like, I'm not going to paint my nails anymore. I'm never going to wear makeup. I'm like very intentionally only ever going to wear like t-shirts, straight cut jeans, sneakers to school. Uh, Like that's it. And um, like at the time, I just felt like I was being... I felt a sort of, um, you know, like, like inner virtuousness of like, oh, you know, I'm not part of that, you know, thing that's just obsessed with looks and fashion Mm. and stuff like that. And I wasn't popular anyway, so I don't need to like, you know, try to be some popular girl by like wearing the right stuff and everything like that. Um, I didn't think of it as discomfort with my gender. Um... But, uh, but it was, uh, Mm. that's what it was, uh, because these days, uh, I'm back to loving pink, uh, and Hmm. I'm a sucker for anything with glitter on it. Uh, you paint your nails. I I paint my nails. I love painting my nails. Uh, right now they are purple. Uh, always love the glitter nail polish. I love sparkly things. I, I, I'm back to loving the stuff that I loved when I was a little kid. But when I was in middle school, that was definitely, uh, like, especially, like, as I went through puberty and my body started to change and I started to develop secondary sex characteristics, I got more and more uncomfortable and tried to perform as much masculinity as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I did mentioned a little bit in passing already i grew up in a pretty conservative household Mm. um and that's in terms of both religion and politics i know they're not always the same although usually but not only were my parents fairly politically conservative um but also belonged to a fairly uh conservative uh denomination of Christianity, which is called the Christian Reformed Church. It's uh, a pretty strict uh, Calvinist denomination of Christianity. I know most people uh, outside of that don't know what that means, but they have, uh, yeah, pretty pretty clear doctrines, very clear rules. Um, they like being clear and pretty strict. Mm-hmm. Um, Calvinists do. Uh, so anyway, yes, raised by raised by a couple of of good Calvinist parents. Um, I do have a pretty um, there. There was a pretty clear memory uh, when I was in eighth grade. My school ran a competition for someone to one of the students to design a mural uh, that mm-hmm. everyone in the school would vote on and would then be painted, like, in the hallways of the school. And I was very excited about this. I was, you know, loved taking art class, you know, was considered to be, you know, pretty good at it, you know, for someone my age. 
Uh, and I drew this mural of uh, someone pouring a bucket of paint and uh, that like splashed out into a rainbow of colors. Again, very Lisa Frank. I grew up in the 90s. <laughs> and a bunch of uh, children that like uh, like silhouettes of them that matched the paint colors and were like all different, you know, mm. boys and girls with different hairstyles and like, you know, different body types, you know, jumping out of the paint. Um, I, sw- I know no one's going to believe this, but I swear I did not know that like the rainbow was a gay pride symbol. My parents tried to make sure we didn't even know what gay was. Like I'd barely even ever heard anybody talk about it. Um, that it existed, let alone that, like, rainbows were a a bad thing in some way. Mm. I loved rainbows when I was a kid, and nobody ever told me that I shouldn't, so I still did. And my mother was just horrified. and was like, "You, you can't submit that at school. People will think you support gay rights. Mm. Um, And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I don't, I didn't even really like know what I what that meant, but I was like, well, obviously my mom thinks it's bad, so like I don't mm. I don't want that. So like I remember when I turned it into my art teacher, I was like, by the way, I don't support gay rights, which again like must have <laughs> if anyone listening to this is a teacher, like please believe when a kid says something like that, they're parroting their parents. They're not bad people. They mm. are they're getting it fed to them at home for sure. Um, because I had no idea what that even meant at that point. I was very naive uh, and uh, then, like, ran away. And the funny part is all the other kids actually did make the same association and none of them voted for my mural because they were all like, oh, my gosh, that's gay. We're not oh, voting for it. Wow. This was a little while ago, and it was back before, like, things had kind of change it was back when people really were like using gay as like oh man that's gay like like that like back i mean in the day. quite a bit has changed even in our short lifetimes oh yes yeah yeah i don't think of myself as old but i am i am 30 so um it has actually been a little while and th- this was still back in the day when middle schoolers didn't want to be associated with gay stuff so no one mm-hmm. voted for my mural and uh, yeah. they voted for someone else's, which was fine. And I was very sad. And then, uh, this is true, the principal of the school, who was apparently uh, a little more uh, hip, was like, oh, no, they discriminated against this poor gay child. And I had uh, no idea. I don't think I've ever yes. heard this story before. Oh, my gosh. How have I never told you the mural story? And so the principal uh, was like, oh, no, like these hateful middle schoolers are gonna bully and discriminate against this gay kid and so was like you know what not only can the other kid paint the mural that won but you can paint yours too uh and so i painted my mural outside outside the principal's office apparently the principal was okay with having the gay mural outside his office and i mean look looking back yeah, like that was a that was a freaking gay mural, and I was <laughs> a little gay kid, but like I didn't know. Um, wow. Yeah, um, I cannot believe I've never told you that story before. But yes, but that was kind of it. Definitely wasn't the first moment in my life where I knew that 
being queer would be very dangerous for me mm. um, because I also grew up with uh, one of my uncles is gay and my mother and father were horrible to him my entire childhood. It will surprise no one to know that he was my favorite uncle. <laughs> um, of course. <laughs> Even though he, like, <laughs> has many, many faults. But of course I liked him best. He was the uncle who liked Star Trek and Dungeons and & Dragons. And he, mm. uh, he was also an artist. And uh, just like me. And I love dragons. And he loved dragons. Like... Obviously, obviously, he was my favorite uncle. Um, and yeah, my parents have always uh, treated him terribly and ostracized him. Mm. And I had just some concept of that it was because he uh, was attracted to men. Um, and my parents did not like that. I don't have like a clear memory of exactly like when I put all the pieces together about what being gay was but yeah probably mm. sometime around middle school and yeah um <laughs> it royally messed me up because then of course when i went to high school and i started getting crushes uh i got crushes on guys and uh i also crushed on a lot of the girls mm. and again i was um very naive uh and so i knew that people could be gay but i had absolutely no concept that people could be anything other than gay or straight so i was like well i have crushes on guys so clearly i can't also have crushes on girls i don't know what this is mm. and sort of yeah i'm comfortable sharing this there was always a place inside of me like a bank vault where I put the things that I didn't understand and I knew were dangerous. Mm. And I'm happy to say that uh, the vault is empty now. Mm. But it took a really long time for me to feel safe enough to start taking things out of the vault. Um, and so the crushes on my female classmates that I couldn't understand went in the vault. The fact that um, I have synesthesia and perceive the world really differently from other people went in the vault. Um, and the way I felt about my body very much went in the vault. Um, the fact that sometimes I had secret thoughts about having a boy's body instead um definitely went in the vault um because i knew exactly how much it was going to cost me if anybody ever found out um mm. back then i wasn't thinking about all the stuff that i potentially had to gain uh because i was a little bit too young it's an awful lot to put on a teenager mm. I really, in high school, found that that I was very good at a certain type of writing. I'm not going to claim that I'm good at writing, because there's lots of different kinds. Um, but uh, I was very good at academic writing. Uh, writing essays, I was very good at it. Um, and I loved reading books. 
And in high school, I really started to fall in love with uh, reading, uh, you know, not just the books I'd always read for fun as a kid, but, uh, you know, stuff that was considered literature. Um, (laughs) I remember reading Hamlet when I was a senior in high school and, uh, you know, things like that and really loving it. And so it was a bit of a challenge to decide not only where to go to college, but what kind of college to go to. Um, I was discouraged from going to art school by my art teacher at the time, who did not understand me very well and could only see a person who didn't produce hardly any paintings and worked really slowly and told me I wasn't going to survive at art school. Um, Instead of wondering why I was painting so slowly um, and not producing very much work uh, and trying to teach me how to do it faster. As you can tell, yes, I, I am still bitter and I do still blame him and I blame my parents too for potentially steering me away from that. Um, my parents mm. also uh, were very... I mean, yeah, just very cookie cutter in the way of like, well, obviously, if you go to art school, you're never going to have any job whatsoever. And you're going to like, you know, go be some bohemian who lives in a loft and like, (laughs) you know, doesn't ever have any food and just becomes like a wastrel and a burden on society or something like that. Right. Um, They're like, yeah, well, obviously you can't do that. Um, So don't uh and i don't know why literature seemed better i mean the real right (laughs) the real truth is that it didn't um when i first started out at college i was majoring in uh, i was uh, studying literature but i was also uh taking an education uh track so i was planning to become a high school teacher but i took like one i forgot that yeah it didn't last very long because I took like two teaching classes. And by the time I got to where I was like actually like shadowing other teachers on the job. And as soon as I was doing that, I was like, yeah, no, this is not for me. (laughs) Um, I actually remember being really scared uh, to tell my parents that I was switching like to literature instead of being on that like Mm. English for education track or whatever it was called. And they weren't happy about it, and my dad yelled at me a lot. But I told them I was going to jump through all these extra hoops and do all these acrobatics to try to be extra impressive. Mm. Um, Like uh, being a Chinese double major and uh, doing an honors thesis Mm -hmm. and blah, 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 blah. Which, I'm not going to say it was a bad idea. It It just wasn't necessary. By the time I got to the end of my four years, I discovered I didn't want to go teach English in China, so I didn't need that second double major. And I also <laughs> did not want to go to grad school. Hmm. Um, because I was in that Chinese double or Mandarin Chinese double major track, I ended up uh, studying abroad uh, at a university for foreign students in Beijing for a semester when I was a senior which was honestly one of the best things that's ever happened to me, which is really funny to say. Because you hated it when you were there, didn't you? I hated it. I hated it so much. I remember 
after the plane flight over, which if you've never flown to Beijing, it's like a 14-hour flight, and the sun is either up or down the whole way. It, it's it's really bad. Um, and I was in the middle, middle seat. It was on a, like a huge jumbo jet that has the yeah. three rows of seats. Oh, I was yeah. In the I'm very familiar. Middle one. It was uh, like, I don't believe in hell, but if I did, I would be on that airplane forever. A hundred percent. It was terrible and as soon as we got off it it was it was just crazy we had to get on like a a bus i mean said studying a language in the classroom no preparation so i'm just thrown into a soup i have to go through customs i'm on a bus that bus this is true got in an accident (laughs) and so of course it did it's a hundred percent true um and yeah oh man i'm hungry i'm thirsty i don't know where i am i don't speak a word of the language people are yelling at each other because we're in a car accident we finally like got to the university unloaded our stuff i had to repack for the week-long trip we took um by mostly by train um out uh to the end of the old silk road what they do on this trip was actually on purpose they, it's not quite a boot camp ethos, but mm-hmm. kind of where they break you intentionally um, to sort of get you over it. Uh, and it worked. <laughs> it just sucked. <laughs> and I just remember that like the first real night, which of course was like 30 plus, maybe even 40 hours after I had left on that flight. And I'm uh, I'm as jet lagged as you can be because it was 12 hours difference from where I had been living. Mm. And I just remember being awake at like 3 a.m. and I was staring up at the ceiling and I realized what I thought at the time was, I have just made the biggest mistake of my entire life. And I was like, how do I get out of it? And Mm. I was like, my parents paid so much money for this. I had to get an extra scholarship. If I call them crying on the phone and demand to be brought home, they'll Mm. kill, like, they'll kill me for real. (laughs) Like... My parents hated wasting money. Uh, like, uh, yeah, I was like, I'm a, I'm dead if I call them and demand to be brought back to the States. I'm going to have to survive this somehow. Mm. And I remember counting in my head how many days, how many days until I can get back on the plane to go home. That's how bad it was. It was real bad, <laughs> um, which... I feel guilty saying because it wasn't the fault of anyone. Like, it was it was pure culture shock. I'd hardly ever left the country before. Um, and it was hard. Um, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't China in particular or anything anyone there did. Um, in fact, I, I really liked certain things about China. Um, and uh, the, everyone I met there was fantastic so it definitely wasn't that at all yeah i spent most of the trip hiding (laughs) in my dorm room at uh the university uh and uh trying to go out as little as possible um and uh drinking coca-cola which they do have uh lots of in china uh which was great and ordering this is criminal and i sincerely apologize to anyone listening this don't ever do this ordering Domino's pizza from the Domino's that opened down the street for the university. Honestly, a criminal act. Chinese food is possibly 
the best food in the entire world. It's amazing. Uh, I think I want to bring it back to your body and, yes. and how that journey has been, which I know was important on that trip, if I'm... If it I'm, was. Yeah. I, I think I went on that sort of explaining some of my personal history because the story of how I relate to my body now wouldn't quite make sense without it, without mm-hmm. knowing how I was as, as a small kid and sort of the influences that sort of drove me towards that that alienated mm. sense of not my body not being right. Mm. Um, and it was definitely in China. I had a bit of a mental breakdown uh, and realized that I had not been honest with myself uh, up until that point. Mm. Um, at this point, I was 22-ish. I think I turned 23 while I was there. Mm. Um, so I was not I was not a teenager and I, I wasn't a kid anymore. Um, and I was like, you're, you're queer. I had, <laughs> I had met enough queer people by then at college yeah. that I, I do that people like that existed in the world. And, um, I, I had political opinions and religious opinions that were very different from my parents and it didn't bother me, uh, admitting to myself that I was queer. It definitely scared me. It scared the crap out of me. Um, but I never had any issue with myself, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. the way I know some other people did. Uh, I can possibly thank the fact that I always liked my gay uncle mm-hmm. for that. I always hated the way my parents treated him and thought it was wrong. And because of that, I think that little seed stuck inside me of... Mm-hmm. My parents are wrong about this thing. Uh, I don't like the way they treat my uncle. Uh, it doesn't seem fair. Yeah. So, <laughs> I which I I have told him, and uh, he's very tickled about it. Mm. I after after that. Oh well, and also realizing in China that I I destined to be on a different career path um my current choices uh were not what i wanted to do so i got i got back to college for my final semester senior year and i dropped the chinese language classes and i took two art classes instead of course because of course i did and um and dropped my plans to go to grad school and I I graduated and tried to find a job and I <laughs> really couldn't. Mm. <laughs> um in in at least not there in the city where I was living, which was unfortunate because I was living with two particularly friendly people. Not you at that point uh because you had just gotten married. Uh and so you Yeah. Yeah, because of course I would have loved to keep living with you. But yeah. You, yeah, we were good housemates. It's... You were. Yeah. I thought about hiding in your closet. <laughs> uh... That would have been doubly, triply funny, I yes. think. Yeah, that would have been great. But uh, but no, um, 
but yeah, I was, I was living in a house with two housemates, one of whom was a gay guy um, who was very much open and he had a giant rainbow flag, like, <laughs> nailed to his bedroom door. Like, yeah, like, um, and unfortunately, it just did not work out to stay. I could not find a job that paid enough and was steady enough. And I had to move back home. Uh, which mm. was unfortunate because I had uh, really grown and changed and gotten used to being an adult with independence, uh, you know, and living my own life. And then I had to go back to living in my parents' house and having I'm to gonna interject by their right rules. now. Yeah. Um, I feel like some more understanding of your parents and your upbringing oh. is important um one one story that i think might be helpful yeah. is um is the doll story oh yes well uh, th that yes i can but talk about the doll there's lots of stories that you can tell but i know that <laughs> one is for sure important yes so let's talk let's talk because i mean a lot of people have to move back in with their parents and it's it's always uncomfortable as an adult to live with your parents. But I should uh, clarify exactly what sort of environment I was moving back into. Um, my mother has a lot of issues and a lot of struggles. Um, but she unfortunately uh, has never sought help for them or even acknowledged that she has any problems, which is very unfortunate. Um, she... Uh, Definitely was abusive, although I should clarify that neither of my parents were physically abusive. Um, at least not very much. They they did spank uh, their children, but in their defense back in the 90s, I feel like uh, mm. it wasn't seen as the bad thing yeah. exactly that it is today, at least by most people, especially conservative uh, Christians, mm -hmm. definitely. Um, <laughs> my, yeah, my mom freaked out when I wanted to move around the furniture in my childhood bedroom. Not get rid of it, just move it. I just felt like there'd be more space in the room if I, like, dragged the bed into a different position and the dresser and stuff. And, uh, and also, you know, put away some of the things from when I was a little kid, not throw them in the trash, just put them in boxes, put them in the basement. Mm. You know, all, the collection of carousel music boxes from when I was like five that my grandmother had given me, you know, stuff like that. Mm. And she flipped out. I, I mean, I know I just said she wasn't physically abusive, but I think that was the time she threw something at me. Yeah. So I, I might be whitewashing that a little bit they yeah they did beat me regularly but yeah she did throw something at me that one time um and the one thing the one thing she absolutely she let me put the music boxes away she absolutely would not under any circumstances permit me to put away the doll mm. <laughs> there was uh, from my from my earliest days because it was a gift from I don't even know who, and 
yeah, if I ever find out who it was, which I probably won't, I should go give them a talking to, um, gave a gift when I was born of this, like, porcelain doll of a girl with long blonde hair, kind of like an American girl doll, but a little bit smaller, um, and my mom loved, you know, dressing it up in clothes and stuff, but for the most part, it just stayed on this high shelf in my bedroom, and... The creepiest part was the doll had the same name as me. This is all true. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, um, like, like, even now, years later, when, you know, spoiler alert a little bit, I haven't talked to my parents in two years, we're, like, formally estranged and, like, all this stuff. Mm. I still think about that doll. And what it represented. It represented this idea of what I was supposed to be and Mm. how my mom saw me. There's a reason that she let me put the other stuff away and not that. She clung to that doll. Mm. Um, Like, to the point where if my life was like a scripted horror movie, like... That, like, you just know that's bad news, right? Like, it, it in a really just creepy way. And... Classic horror. I, for sure. Like, like, classic, like, she's imbuing that doll with too much power. Mm. And it's gonna, like, come to life and put a curse on us all or something like that. And... I mean... I don't know for sure, but I guarantee she still has the doll. I don't know if she still has it out somewhere or if it upsets her too much. And so she's packed it away, but like, I guarantee she still has it. Um, and I, I really hope that someday, uh, when she passes, which I do not wish for, but I hope that when that happens, I can get the doll back. Because in a weird way, I I also feel tied to it, um, like in a Mm. horror movie, where I need to get my hands on it so that I can not do anything horrible to the doll. I have uh, I have talked about how I feel bad uh, for it, and I would like to have a proper funeral for Mm. it, um, as a sort of. Yeah, sort of representation of what didn't end up happening. I didn't mm. end up growing into a woman with blonde hair. Um, blonde hair, that was a huge hang-up for my mom, too. Mm. She, I remember when I went to go get my driver's license. I had brown hair by then, by the way. Uh, <laughs> my hair got darker as I got older, which was not a surprise mm-hmm. because so did my brothers and so had my dad's. He had also started out as a blonde child who turned into a, an adult with brown hair. So it was not weird that that happened. But for some reason, I, I swear, my mom couldn't actually see who I was when she looked at me mm-hmm. um, because her mental representation of me was so strong that... If you asked her, she would tell you I had blonde hair, but I hadn't had blonde hair for years. My hair, like, started turning brown when I was in, like, high school. And she would swear that I had hazel eyes, but I don't. 
Um, my eyes are a little bit of an indeterminate color, but they're more, they're closer to green than anything. Mm -hmm. So generally I say I have green eyes. They're not like a super bright green color, but they're closer to green than anything else. But they're definitely not hazel, right? But my mom has blonde hair and hazel eyes. Mm. And yeah, I remember when I went to go get my driver's license that... You know, they ask you, they're like, oh, yeah, what's your hair color and eye color? I don't know why they ask you instead of just looking, <laughs> but they do. It's a thing they do at the DMV. And my mom was like, blonde hair, uh, you know, hazel eyes. And that's what was listed on my wow. first driver's license. It was ins- it was crazy. Like, she really, really just could not actually see, like, even physically, like, what I looked like. Um, it was it was very strange. So yeah, I moved back home to that. Uh, and it was immediately very, very uncomfortable. And I was constantly haunted by the fear that my parents were going to find out that at the time I identified it as, as a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, that's definitely not uh, how I identify now, but it was what made the most sense to me at the time. And I'm like, they're going to find out, they're going to find out, they're going to find out. Um, and <laughs> they did. They did eventually find out. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, yeah, actually, it was pretty funny. Uh, my dad asked me point blank if I was attracted to women. And I'm, I'm really bad at lying, especially yeah. on the spot. And so I paused way too long trying to think of a lie for, for me to be actually able to lie. <laughs> And, uh, yeah. And, unfortunately, I also was having to go to church all the time, despite the fact that by the time I got home, I, I for the most part, was no longer uh, a believing Christian. I, I was trending in that direction mm-hmm. by the end of college, but I was desperate to save it. I was like, you know what? Maybe God is just kind of this idea and I don't have to believe in hell, but I can still believe in Jesus and like new agey sense of like the like comforting bro that like, you know, is there for you to cry on his shoulder when you need him, you know, that sort of thing. Very far from where I'd started out for sure. Um, And light years away from where my parents were. But yeah, it wasn't until after I got home. (laughs) Gosh, I don't know if we actually have time for this story as well, mm. I know that I, like, talk a lot. Um, but uh, the long and short of it is, we went to go see... Again, I don't know why my parents wanted to see this movie. I think they liked the BBC version of Sherlock, where Benedict Cumberbatch is Sherlock Holmes. I think my mom might even have fancied him a little bit. Mm. And so we went to go see him play Alan Turing in the imitation game. Yes. Ooh. Did yeah. they not realize what that movie was about? They had no idea. No idea. Oh. I, I guarantee they just saw Benedict Cumberbatch and they were like, oh, Benedict Cumberbatch, we love Sherlock Holmes. Let's go watch that movie. Um, and so, of course, at the end of it, me, and I had come, by the way, I'd come out at this point. That's an important part of the story. Me, you know, this very unhappy, you know, queer young adult at the end, of course, is just crying my eyes out. Um, as, you know, Alan Turing commits suicide after, um, uh, you know, being threatened 
with, uh, you know, jail time uh, or forced uh, injections uh, after he's convicted of um, being gay, essentially. A very miserable and unjust end. Uh, And I was, of course, crying a lot uh, because it's very sad. Mm. And my parents did not cry at all, which is strange. Uh, My mother cries at sad movies very, very easily. She famously couldn't sleep at night after watching The Martian because she was upset that the potatoes died. Hmm. Yeah, she, uh, she cared more for Matt Damon's potatoes than she did for Alan Turing, hmm. which was exactly what I realized hmm. on the way home from the theater. And I got very angry and... Uh, especially because, as per usual, uh, they told me to shut up and stop crying uh, because they didn't like it when I was upset. And uh, Mm. that was it. I was like, I'm sick of pretending. I'm done. And, uh, yeah, the, the reason I trended away from religion actually did not have very much to do with, uh, my sexual orientation, uh, because that, again, was not something that I found difficult to square. Um, it had to do with di- very different things. Mm. But uh, my parents' cruelty mm. was definitely the straw that broke the camel's back. And I was like, uh, you know what? Sorry, I'm done. Then I had another thing to hide. Unfortunately, uh, the story of me and my parents is the string of things that I was hiding and had Mm. to come out one after another. As you were taking things out of the vault. As I was taking things out of the vault. Although to be fair, uh, atheism was not in there originally. I very much was a believer when I was younger. Yeah, took took, uh, how uh, being attracted to women out and still in there were some other things, including how I felt about my own body, especially my yeah my feeling of alienation from my female chest especially mm-hmm. um it was very hard for me when i was going through puberty and developing um i didn't like it i resisted wearing a bra for years i it, it was very hard um like most things i just assumed that all female-bodied people felt the same way I did, Um, which was not true, it turns out. I, yeah, but that was news to me. And that was, I mean, that was my feeling about, (laughs) I will say sex in air quotes, uh, because of course I was only ever taught about, uh, you know, procreative sex within marriage, which of course to my parents meant a single man uh, with male genitals and a single woman with female genitals uh, making babies. And mm. I thought that all other women also feared and dreaded the thought of having that kind of sex mm-hmm. um, and that they only did it because they had to, because the Bible said that you had to give your husband sex whenever he asked for it mm. or he could divorce you which is actually what my parents straight up told me and Mm. actually do believe, which is very sad. 
but yeah, <laughs> turn. It turns out shockingly, some women really want to have sex. <laughs> they really do. It's it's astounding. Um, yeah, it, it turns out that no, no, that that was me. That was a me thing, uh, which is fine. And there was a very bad, traumatic, abusive experience. Uh, that happened right before I was finally able to move out into my own apartment. My grandmother, unfortunately, passed away. And my mother had a mental break. I'm not sure why. It wasn't her... I should clarify. It was my father's mother who passed away. Because um, I'm sure people will be like, of course she had a mental yeah. break. Her mother was dying. No, my other grandmother. Um, so... Uh, that's part of why I'm confused as to why my mother had the breakdown that she had at the time she did. Um, I don't know what else was going on. It's very possible there were other factors that I just didn't know about. But she just really started having breakdowns and, like, I, I mean, tantrums. I mean, there's there really isn't a, a different way to d- describe what she was doing. Mm screaming hitting things um you know uh banging her fists on things just really really Mm. really really bad and unfortunately i ended up in the car with her on the way home and we were in two cars so every like my dad and brother and sister-in-law were in Mm. the other vehicle and i was alone with my mom and which I should have known not to do because I I already knew that she was not always to be trusted in a car. Like, she tried to grab the steering wheel for me before when I was driving and things like that. Like, very unsafe behavior. And we were driving home, and unfortunately, the conversation kind of took a turn and she ended up accusing me of not believing in God. And again, you Mm. know, I'm not great at lying, especially on the spot under pressure. I was trying my best. I was in the full defense mode of say whatever it takes to call mom down because she was like really speeding, swerving all over the highway. It was like really dangerous. Um, and I was terrified, and I was saying, no, no, I, I believe in God, I'm a Christian, I believe, but I, I, what can I say? I'm a bad liar, um, which is why I usually don't, don't try. And she's like, you know, you're, you're lying, uh, like, I'm not stupid, I know you don't believe in God, and blah, 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 and um, yeah, we, we easily could have gotten in a really bad car wreck, and and gotten really hurt, and, like, my dad was calling the cell, like, the cell phone, being like, what's wrong? Why are you guys serving all over the road? Is everything okay? It was real bad. And when we got home, it was kind of the first time I ever stood up, and I went to, not my mom, but my dad, and I pulled him aside, and I said, look, I'm, I'm done. I'm moving out of the house in a couple weeks. I'm an atheist. I'm not going to be treated this way anymore. Like, I'm, I, I'm done. I'm not going to be treated like this anymore. And uh, my dad took it way better than my mom, to his credit. 
uh, he wasn't happy about it or anything like that, but he, you know, did not yell and scream at me or anything like that. And I moved out, and once I moved out, and I was no longer around my piece of parents, unfortunately, that's kind of when you start to process all mm-hmm. the trauma that's happened, and it was really, really hard. Um, and I didn't understand what was wrong with me and why I was struggling so much. Um, and I had known a lot of trans people in college. Well, I, okay, I shouldn't say a lot, but I'd known more than one, you know, trans person in college. We, uh, we both belonged to, um, (laughs) our college wasn't allowed to have a gay club, um, but they had, for all intents, what it actually was, was a gay club. Like, it it was, um, except that the school wouldn't let us officially have one, but that's, that's what it was. Uh, so it, I knew what trans people were, but I, it had never clicked, not even in China. And then I listened to a podcast. I listened to a pod, a storytelling podcast, and one of the characters was transgender. Uh, not even the same way I was, by the way. Someone uh, assigned male at birth who was a trans woman. And I don't know why, but for whatever reason, that's what finally did it. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a breakdown, and <laughs> a lot of breakdowns, uh, and thinking that I couldn't bear to be called my name anymore, which, for the record, I had always hated but it, not because it was a female name, uh, just because it was really, really common, and I was annoyed that everyone else always had the same name as me. And kind of the first thing that popped into my imagination was Cloud. And that's what I've called myself ever since. Uh, I made some pretense of looking for other names, but deep down inside, I knew this was the one that was perfect and that I wanted. Uh, even though <laughs> it very much plays into everything my parents ever told me I should dislike about myself. Uh, mm. The fact that I'm uh, kind of dreamy and artsy and, uh, you know, am exactly the sort of person you would think of would be named Cloud, except... Uh, uh, Except maybe a little less into, um, like, New Age spirituality. Yeah. Uh, but a- but apart from that, um, think of, like, a hippie artist, but without the the New Age beliefs. <laughs> and uh, you've, you've probably got me instead. Uh, yeah. And i'm blushing uh that's why i'm hesitating the first person i told was uh my future husband of course uh of course because i always told him everything and and trusted him even though it took a very long time for me to admit that i liked him Mm. um but i told him and uh 
uh, he immediately sent me a picture of Cloud Strife from Final Fantasy VII, and, <laughs> which I deserved. And then, uh, but, uh, but that was like, yeah, of course, obviously. And um, I told him that I uh, was pretty sure that I was non-binary. And then I told my brother. Uh, and my brother is very accepting and he and his, uh, and my sister-in-law, uh, started calling me my new, new name as well. And I, you know, told all my friends, I basically told everyone except, uh, my parents and I eventually told them. And after a while, they, they kind of didn't understand like non-binary as a concept but after i you know really put my foot down and made a stink about it they started calling me cloud finally but all all was not well and this is finally when we can start to get into cloud how do you relate to your body Mm. so at this point i was very alienated from myself physically um to the point of um having a lot of um for me it's always been digestive issues um they developed in college and have not really gone away since as well as trichotillomania um which i've had ever since i ever since I was 10. And uh, so that was around when I was starting to get to puberty. Yeah. And I'll just mention here that Cloud and I both started having that experience, um, as well as what's called excoriation, which I just think is fun because it sounds like the Middle Ages, <laughs> but it's a skin picking as well. Yes, and skin picking as well. So we both experienced that around yes. the same time. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, tri- uh, yeah, I should say trichotillomania is compulsive hair pulling. Um, it's a fancy, a fancy word uh, for that. Um, so yes, I've, I've always uh, pulled out uh, my hair um, and still do. Um, what was not really fully understood when I was a kid, even by people who were experts at the time, is how much of a role stress and trauma played in mm. both hair pulling and skin picking, which sometimes are called uh, BFRBs or body-focused repetitive behaviors. Um, it, it was very much a, how do we get rid of this behavior? How do we train someone to no longer do this behavior? Which was not like a particularly successful approach because it was treating more of a symptom than the actual cause so the Mm. symptom was always going to keep recurring um when yeah so i was uh, i was having a lot of problems and i've always i've always had um some sort of physical problems with like bumping into things a lot uh like being extremely clumsy sometimes um, and your parents had a really hard time with the fact that you had these issues as well. Growing up? Yeah. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, my parents were very, very, uh, 
uh, not helpful <laughs> about the situation. Um, yeah, it just yelled at me and made me feel shitty about something that I had absolutely no control over. I I, I would have done any anything that I could to stop pulling out my hair, and I couldn't. It, uh, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, really shitty stuff, refusing to take pictures of me. Yeah, very, very, uh, hurtful, uh, to the psychology of a growing child. And by the time I was at this point, you know, figuring out I was non-binary, as soon as I sort of opened up that... I mean, we can we can think about it as the bank vault door again. As soon as mm-hmm. I opened that up a crack, the uh, the persistent. I mean, I don't know if you really want to call them fantasies, but persistent thoughts that I had had uh, for years about what if I was a boy instead were in there just waiting, and. I started crying. I started crying a lot. Um, Like, I would spend days just crying and crying and crying. Mm. Uh, Like, triggered by, like, any time somebody, like, if, I don't know, if I was listening to, like, NPR or something, I'm, (laughs) I'm very old-fashioned in my media tastes sometimes. Uh, So, yeah, I'd be, like, listening to NPR, and they'd be like, and now we're going to talk to, like, this trans rights activist or something like that. And uh, then I would cry for, like, two days. And I was like, I gotta get it together. What's going on? This is this is terrible. And then the pandemic happened, uh, and it was really bad. Except uh, I feel terrible about saying this, but for me, it was good. Um, mm-hmm. I know that's a terrible, terrible thing to say. So many people died. There was so much suffering and loss but for me what it meant was that uh not only did I get to work from home full-time which is nice because uh, I'm lucky again extremely fortunate in the fact that I was able to but also that telehealth became uh like a adorable thing that you could like do and your insurance mm. would cover and That meant that I could go online and find a therapist who specialized in transgender issues, uh, even though that therapist lived what would have been a prohibitively long way away from my location. Uh, It didn't matter because it was 2020 and everybody was doing therapy uh, via video, video conference. And so I started seeing this therapist and I told him, uh, you know, uh, you know, help, please. Uh, you know, I'm non-binary and I keep breaking down crying. And I uh, honestly, I, <laughs> I love my therapist so much. The very first thing he did, like literally like the first session we had, he uh, uh, like sent me the PDF of a book uh, that he had bought for me. And it was, I believe it's called A Complete Guide to uh, Complex PTSD. Uh, the author's name is Pete Walker. If you look him up, you'll find this book. And 
I'm a pretty voracious reader, so I read the whole book in basically a single sitting mm. because I was like, oh, this is me. Oh, this mm-hmm. is me. Oh, this is this is also me. And then within a couple more sessions, I was talking to my therapist about, I, I want to take testosterone, mm. but I am terrified because if I do my like that that will be it for me and my parents like we've met it's gotten rocky it's not great it's not a good relationship but it's survived this far but only because non-binary is this thing my parents don't have to confront in any way they could just sort of put it on a shelf and be like well we can just sort of pretend that's not really there because cloud doesn't look or sound any different than they ever have and sure we have to call them this stupid new name but okay and they're gonna yell at us about pronouns but like all right (laughs) you know yeah and he was like well that's really bad but you know what's gonna be better for you and he was absolutely right and so i started taking testosterone and then unfortunately had another crappy encounter with my parents where I didn't even tell them. I I did not tell them I was already taking testosterone, but my mom ended up blowing up at me about some other thing. And I, I guess just like the other times I was like, no, this is, this is it. This is it. Mm. Yeah. I, I won't lie. I don't, I don't like remembering what it felt like walking out of the house I grew up in for the last time, knowing it was the last time. Mm. It stinks. And I still hold out some fantasy that I can go back there someday and Mm. get to touch the tree that I planted when I was 10 again and the 200 year old oak tree that's in the front yard and all the beautiful things and special memories about that place. But yeah, I ended up writing them a letter telling them instead of doing it face to face. And in response, they wrote me a truly vile letter again probably won't come as a surprise to anyone who's listening to this um it was bad it was real bad uh and so i was like nope well i i kind of was expecting it but that's that's kind of that isn't it so uh yeah that was two years ago uh i've now been uh taking testosterone for two years and i had Top surgery, which for anyone listening to this who like doesn't know, I guess like trans trans lingo, uh, top surgery uh, is uh, what people call uh, chest masculinization surgery. Um, it's not quite the same as uh, a double uh, mastectomy like you would get for breast cancer. Um, in that case, they remove more tissue than they do for top surgery, but it's it's similar. And I had that at the end of February. It has been a transformative experience mm-hmm. in a, a way that I like 
did not expect, which (laughs) saying it out loud seems a little silly. Like, oh, okay, well, like you had a pretty radical surgery to change the shape of your body. And also you took hormone injections for two years. Like, um, were you not expecting anything to change? Like, yeah, I, I was. But I, I, it's a little hard to explain to someone who is not transgender what it feels like to look in the mirror and see someone who looks like you for the very first time mm. in your life, um, which is what happened after I had surgery. I finally looked at myself in the mirror and was like, oh my gosh, it's me. <laughs> it's me. I can see myself. Finally. Um, that's me. Um, and it, it wasn't just the surgery or the hormones. It's other things. You know, uh, I have a pretty flamboyant hairstyle. <laughs> uh, as I record this today, I've got a bright green sort of faux hawk with, uh, you know, uh, close cropped sides, uh, what some of my friends lovingly refer to as the gay haircut, uh, because it is, (laughs) and it is, um, you know, I've got, I've got stretched earlobes, so I've got not giant, uh, kind of medium sized, you know, gauges and kind of hipsterish glasses. So it's, it's not just, it's other presentary aspects of my appearance and not only the surgery but that was that was a big deal doing yoga and also which uh was planned and physical therapy which was not planned and i had to do because of an injury were also interesting experiences relating to uh how i relate to my body um i didn't really believe it when I read uh I didn't fully believe it when I read the really just wonderful book The Body Keeps the Score uh which everyone should read Mm -hmm. didn't quite believe that trauma and emotions got stored in your muscles that seemed Mm. like a very silly woo-woo thing to say (laughs) it sounded like energy fields or something um until I was doing yoga And I kept breaking down in tears as I was Mm. doing yoga poses. I also discovered that the persistent knots in my shoulders that never fully go away. I I ended up injuring my one rotator cuff and needed to go to physical therapy for that and ended up getting some work done on my upper back and shoulders. And I kept getting irrationally furiously angry during the sessions where my shoulders mm. were being worked on anger was just pouring out of my the knots in my shoulders mm. um it was like it, it was crazy and i literally didn't believe it until until i was experiencing it and uh it has always been easier for me to understand that my anxiety goes straight to my digestive system uh, mm. in me particularly. That's not a universal thing um, because as soon as I went off to school and started being really stressed out about all my difficult coursework and living away from home for the first time, I developed chronic digestive issues that I still struggle with. It's 
it's been a long journey of realizing that my mind and body were more connected than I ever gave them credit for. Um, I spent most of my childhood and even my young adult life in a dissociative haze Mm -hmm. uh, on purpose to try to escape from my parents and the situation that I found myself in generally. Coming out of that, finally sort of feeling myself in some ways for the very first time as I'm now able to touch <laughs> touch my chest and uh, my hands, which are still tiny, of course, because they're never going to get bigger, but um, uh, my arms are hairy now, uh, and I'm starting to get those, like, poppy out vein you know the thing guys have that's the thing that i want more than possibly anything else here's the secret though if you have tiny dainty wrists like me it looks kind of silly (laughs) in my opinion in my opinion i'm like i'm like yeah like like bro hands oh itty bitty wrists (laughs) it's like me and my feet i'm like you're never gonna get any bigger no matter how much hair you have on you it's it's not you're not fooling anybody. You're too small. <sighs> I I remember having, well, yeah, I'll just say, you know, as someone who, you know, we've shared a lot of experiences of being in conservative households and similar creativity. And I think a lot of dissociation growing up, knowing that that something was different about us that was dangerous. I think I've never used the word vault, but that sounds like that feels right to me as well. And, and then, you know, watching you through your transition, which, you know, uh, people, people change and they grow. And I definitely was super confused at first and not, very respectful in some ways, um, which you and I have talked about. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, all the fun. All the fun. Um, I will say privately. (laughs) Privately, yes. You you were never rude to me, like, in person. And also, I had the same thoughts about other people when we were in college. So there's, I'm definitely not blaming you. Yes. uh, I have no leg to stand on. Yeah, we were definitely transphobic together. Um, we yeah, were that special bond. Yes, um, and I'm very ashamed of myself. But you know, like it's the process of growing and changing, and like you were saying earlier about like this, you know, telling teachers, "Hey, if a kid says things like this, it it comes from their parents or like it comes from their environment." So it made a lot of sense. But you know, fast forward. Uh, I was talking about my idealized form of my masculine self, like my my dreams. And I just remembered the way that you talked about your experience of hormones and surgery. Uh, and I was wondering if you could, yeah, talk about that, like how you have gone through that process. Absolutely. I am chuckling a little bit because I think 
uh, any other trans person listening to this will immediately identify with this also. That even though you know, logically, you've read all the articles, you know what's possible and what's not possible with hormones <laughs> and surgery, you still have this inner fantasy that you can't quite let go of, that as soon as you take uh, hormones <laughs> and have surgery, you're going to turn into, like, an Adonis-like Per, like gorgeous like hot man <laughs> right like or woman depending right like like i i knew perfectly well that that was not going to happen and yet this little itty bitty piece of myself was like i'm immediately going to look like my wildest dreams like <laughs> i'm i'm going to be so hot and awesome and then it was like oh no like you want testosterone just looks like your brother, but a few years older. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, right, genetics. <laughs> right? Like, like in all honesty, like, what I ended up looking the most like was, uh, you know, my dad when he was younger, uh, my paternal grandfather uh, a little bit. Um, <laughs> uh, th- yeah, that's, that's what happened. I started growing salt and pepper, uh, uh, beard hair immediately it started growing salt and pepper because my dad started going gray when he was like 30 and yeah. oh yeah it's oh it's bad um and uh and got a nice uh chubby beer belly <laughs> and yeah my dreams of like uh being like a, a like super hot uh like ripped body uh like did not immediately materialize absolutely not um uh, <laughs> it hmm more recently i have started to become more comfortable with the way i actually look at first it was like this awkward dance with how i was starting to look and sound and those sort of like ideas that I still had in my brain and I was it was very much a work in progress and so I wasn't sure where it was going to end up not that uh I won't still you know keep looking different I mean in a sense all people do as you get older but um like I still will uh but things are a little more settled now my voice is finally starting to settle down a little bit and not crack as much and um, things like that. And I finally started to be like, okay, I this wasn't the self that I was expecting, but I'm happy with this. This mm. is this is okay. This is good. This is actually this is actually more than good. I love this self. I love myself. Um even with uh all, all the things that are sometimes annoying, like the gross hairs that grow out of my back, and <laughs> the and the fact that I get white hair literally everywhere, including my eyebrows and eyelashes and nose hair and just everything you can. It's yeah, testosterone uh, really makes your hair just really grow, and it except in the places that you <laughs> oh, want it. Oh yes, except it then will make you go bald on top for most people. It's and it will really give is. you a proper beard. <laughs> uh depending. Well, you know, I or was, not for yes. a while. 
It depends on the person. Um, I will definitely eventually have a full beard. Um, I'd say give it another year, and I'll be able to grow at least a tolerable beard if I wanted to. Um, which that'll... <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, people listening might be thinking to themselves, like, oh, Cloud, you know, you, you keep saying you're non-binary, and you say the pronouns, and then you keep talking about wanting to have, like, this he-man body, and, like, <laughs> you're taking testosterone and, like, having surgery. Yes, this is true. This is fair. I have always felt like I... I mean, it's very strange to say that, like, your body was wrong, especially for, like, someone like me who I don't believe in the soul. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a dual, I'm not actually a dualist. And so it's, mm. it's a little, it's even harder for me to be like, okay, well, like, I am just one thing, my mind and body together. And yet somehow something inside of my brain is telling me that the my body is wrong somehow, and believe me, I don't know why, and I don't know how all that works. Uh, but that, that's just how it feels, uh, that I was supposed to have a more masculine body, and somehow something went wrong, and I didn't. Um, but I've thought about it a lot over time. Am I really non-binary? Was I just saying that because... I was scared to come out as uh, a trans guy. And I keep settling on, no, I feel like my gender falls, I mean, definitely outside the binary, which is where the term non-binary comes in, but that it encompasses both male and female attributes. I'm not sure that I will ever uh, children, and by have children, I don't mean having them myself, uh, like with my own body. I mean like either my partner conceiving possibly, or like adopting children would probably be the more realistic thing. I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but when I imagine myself as a parent, uh, I always see myself as both a mother and a father, for example. Mm -hmm. And that is what feels best as both. And I've started trying to convince people in my life a little bit more, like when they, um, like uh, like my sister, my one sister-in-law, you know, the other day I was I was helping her do stuff around her apartment, and and I said, you know, oh, I I, I was like pulling on rubber gloves, and I was like, I feel like I'm one of those like severe nannies from like. A <laughs> tv show right and we were having a laugh about it and and then there was kind of an awkward moment of like oh but uh you know oh you're you're a masculine person like mm -hmm. um and nanny is like this this feminine thing like I, I wouldn't call you that And it's like no no like i'm i'm actually also like encompass like those feminine things not that nannies have to be women but just like the stereotypical portrayal of yeah. them like no no like Femi traditionally feminine things I also feel like that is a part of me and welcome it into my life um, there are certain things that I don't like very much that are traditionally feminine like dresses and skirts but I've never liked those I I've never liked the sort of swishy fabric 
feeling of it. Um, it definitely has less these days to do with gender than it does with uh, that type of clothing. I just prefer pants mm-hmm. that I always have, you know, sort of thing. Um, yeah, that's kind of how things have felt since getting uh, since getting surgery. Yeah, I what I'm thinking of right now is when you were saying, you know, back back when we chatted before was like the fact that, you know, you you gain some weight and you like you're like I have a, a, a like a chubby hairy belly. I do. <laughs> and and yet I've also never felt more comfortable in my skin. And I loved, I loved that. Yes, yes, I did. I did gain weight. Um, in fact, from from the little like bit of internet research I've done, that's actually like a really common thing. A lot of people gain weight mm-hmm. uh, when they go on testosterone. The <laughs> oh my gosh, it makes you so hungry. Like your body basically thinks that it's a teenage boy. Um, but unlike the body of an actual teenage boy, which is probably going to like shoot up like mm-hmm. many, many inches, uh, if you're me, uh, you have the body of a 30 year old and it's not going to grow anymore cause it can't. <laughs> and so, uh, when it actually does just grow outward instead, <laughs> um, yeah, hungry, thirsty, sweaty, hot, so hot all the time. I used to like get on my brother about like why are you so gross that you're like not wearing (laughs) clothes half the time like what's wrong with you i thought he was just like i don't know being a gross jerk you know because he was my brother and that's what people think of their brothers um and uh i i had to go ruefully and be like i was wrong (laughs) you were right like uh i now sit around with with my shirt off all the time and just my boxers because i'm so hot and sweaty all the time he's like right i'm like yeah (sighs) that's yeah that's a thing uh and you know running around in shorts even when it's like really cold outside because you're really hot yeah it's the worst (laughs) oh wow (laughs) i did i did not sympathize with with like guys at all ever i was like guys are gross uh they (laughs) you know the the typical way you're raised to think about guys when you're being raised as a girl like yeah boys are gross and i don't want to have anything to do with them and look how gross they are all the time and uh, unfortunately i've learned that a lot of the grossness is because uh having a high testosterone levels makes your body uncomfortable like you're hot and sweaty and you're hungry and you're thirsty and it's just like oh man feel bad for actual teenage boys that have to deal with stuff like that not that being a teenage girl didn't also suck uh i have the uh, the great fun of having gone through puberty twice. Uh, and it sucked both times. And menopause. Yes, yes, that you had male uh-huh. adolescence and menopause at the same time. I mean, that that heightens the experience. 
Hot flashes. Hot flashes are also terrible. Guys, anyone who's experiencing a hormonal change, it's really, really terrible experience. <laughs> and people should have compassion for those people. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I think <sighs> I remember you saying something about, yeah, having compassion for teenage guys or, you know, or for men and... It's not a popular opinion. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's I think it's a really interesting one because you you went from having this experience as you know, the way that you you identified at the time was as a queer woman. Um yeah, and and by the way, like I I don't mind when people are you as a shorthand, I don't mind when people talk about my past self, yeah, as being a girl, because, like, I I was like that's how I was raised, and that's how I thought about myself at the time for the most part. So like that's that's fine. It's it's fine to say that. I I've had similar feelings of, well, I was a girl and I was a sister and I was a daughter. Mm-hmm. And I was a boy, and I was a brother, and I was a son. Like, all of these things, for, for me, when I look back, like, oh. they're all true at the same time. Yes. I also definitely was a queer and, a, and genderqueer child at the same time. But, I mean... Look, I I did not major in gender studies or even take a gender studies class. So I don't know what like the actual research on this is or the thinking. But uh, from my very limited perspective, gender seems to me like a list of things that people at large have sort of agreed on. It changes over time. Um... And so it can be perfectly possible that I was a girl, right? I had, you know, those characteristics. I was wearing the clothes and doing the behavior and having the thought patterns and being treated like a girl. I was a girl. And then I also internally, in this weird way that I don't just fully understand, uh, also... Uh, was non-binary also at the same time it's it's very strange and yet they are both true yeah yeah and i know people have very like trans people have very different ways of looking at this they do yes but i know for for me and it sounds like for you as well uh, there is this experience of of having grown up with two lives or like with two two selves um Mm -hmm. which that's a fascinating thing all on its own but i think what i was what i was getting at was you know you you have had the experience of of being a girl of being a woman of experiencing a world where you are a second class citizen because you are born female um and treated as a woman Mm -hmm. and you know the fear of 
and I'm, I'm just putting some of my own stuff in here, so correct me if I'm wrong, you know, the fear of sexual assault, the, the fear of getting... Very much so. Assault in general, just because... Oh, yeah. Um, like, or harassment and, you know, all of this stuff, yep. which is all a problem, a major problem. And then now you're living in this world where... Unfortunately, you, you still are viewed as a woman a lot of the time. So you, you, like, you have some of the problems of that, but you also have had this hormonal experience where you're like, oh, I understand that like, I'm horny all the time, like, <laughs> you know, and I'm sweaty all the time oh. and, and all these things. Fortunately, yeah. less horny than I was at the very beginning. Uh, that did die down, uh, event, like, after uh, maybe, like, the first several months, um, <laughs> which which is good. Um, although that, that definitely was there. It's... Yeah. It's really... I, I think this is part of the reason that I, I, I think trans people exist, is to have this this multiple like experiences and and, so me with my uh uh fancy and not very useful in uh uh you know my current workplace literature degree uh i love the word liminality or liminal Mm. uh something that exists uh on the boundary Uh, between two states Um, so you can think of like dusk right that time uh, where it's not day anymore and it's not quite night and it's this in-between state Um, and in a in a lot of literature and I should just caveat obviously what I studied was mostly western literature and yes there's all sorts of problems with that and it's all of that stuff but within that particular tradition uh, you know, those sorts of liminal states hold this uh, both great danger and great power, right? You can think of kind of, um, if anyone's familiar with the play, A Midsummer Night's Dream, right? Mm. Um, that uh, the time uh, that it's uh, set in, uh, and I don't mean ancient Greece, I mean Midsummer's Night, right? Mm. It's the the night of Midsummer, the summer solstice, which is this time uh, that was uh, seen as very liminal. Uh, and it also takes place in the forest, which is seen as this uh, this sort of wild uh, place, but like right on the edge of it, which is kind of funny, the kind of liminal transitional space between the civilization and like the true wild place where no humans are. It's these lovers who are escaping uh, into the forest and and sort of and what they encounter there is is you know strange and and beautiful and also very terrifying and dangerous there's fairies there's magic and that um and so that's uh that's a huge part of how i think of my my own personal experience of my non-binary mm. gender um Different non-binary people feel very differently. But uh, for me, my particular... And that's kind of the nature of the thing. Non-binary is like... 
<laughs> okay, it doesn't fit in box A or box B. We'll throw it in box C. Uh, and so you get a lot of different stuff that all gets thrown in box C, right? Um, but yes, uh, that is that is very much how I see it. And I've completely forgotten your original question. Oh, uh, having, yeah, having had the multiple experiences. And that's sort of one of the, the powers of being a trans person mm. yes yes of having had uh multiple experience and even like like multi-layered experiences um it definitely has been very interesting and very revealing to talk to my brother who who is a cis man um about some of these things um because it's really, uh, like, made very apparent how different um, he was raised from me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll, <laughs> like, I'll go to him and be like, bro, like, you know, why, you know, oh, the reason you never want to wear pants is that you're hot and sweaty all the time. Why did you never just say that? Mm. And he's like, hmm. I don't know, because, like, I don't know. And, like, it was clear that, like, guys just don't talk about stuff like that. At least people who come from our, you know, particular cultural background uh, don't. Like, at least my experience of uh, womanhood, Mm -hmm. such as it was, was that we complained about stuff like that all the time. Like you would go to your other female friends and be like, Oh my gosh, like my period sucks so much. And like, yeah, you know, uh, and one of my boobs is bigger than the other. And I can't find a bra that fits it. Like all that, you know, stuff, you know, you might not have like talked to just anybody about it, but like you talk to your friends about it. Like that was normal and not seen as like a weird thing at all. Um, (laughs) and like, you know, if I was having my period and, you know, I was feeling really bad and I was in a lot of pain or I was in a really bad mood and somebody wanted to do something, I'd be like, you know, sorry, not today. Like I'm feeling really bad, you know, I'm on my period, you know, that sort of thing or whatever. Like, and I'd been, you know, kind of a little bit mean to my brother for years about like put your clothes back on and he never once said to me i took my clothes off because i was hot and sweaty and uncomfortable mm. we're coming to the end of time is there mm. anything else that you feel is important to say yes there is um at the moment uh, in the country where I live, trans people are being used as a punching bag and an ideological chip. Uh, as as pawns either to signal one's moral goodness on one side or uh, and commitment to, you know, diversity and tolerance on one side or to scapegoat fear-mongering 
for political gain on the other. And I would like to say to every uh, transgender or even every queer person who's listening that I implore you as dangerous as it feels and as it really might be to stand up not only for yourself but by standing up and being out as it were uh being honest about your gender your sexuality your beliefs even in other areas of life by doing that you you don't always know who else in your life you are making space for Sometimes by being brave, you are taking the first step and clearing space for someone else to step and follow your footsteps, like someone walking through this through deep snow, mm. where the next person can put their foot down where you've put your foot down. Um, it just so happened uh, I had no way of knowing uh, when I came out as non-binary uh, that first my husband and then one of my very close friends uh, in quick succession would also come out to be as transgender. And actually, uh, actually a a fourth friend also. That one housemate turned out to be non-binary. So... And and, I'm I'm one of those people. Oh, yes. And one of those people uh, is the the interviewer. Um, But uh, I... And I had no... No idea at the time. I was not thinking of those other people in my life because I had no idea. I, uh, and I'm also not claiming to be particularly special or extraordinarily brave. I did, uh, I came out because I thought that was what was best for me. But it turned out that it helped other people too. And looking back, I'm extra glad that I did it because I know that I made space for other people as well. And there could be other people in my life I made space for who I don't even know about. The danger is real. And I would like to encourage everyone to be brave anyway. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. And I, you know, of course, speaking from personal experience... It has been so meaningful to have someone, you know, further along in this. And although certainly we have, you know, we believe very different things and we... We do, yeah. We're um, different. We're different and, you know, we're in different places in our journey, like our trans journey. And I don't know if we'll take the same pathways, but... It's been really helpful to have someone who is, <laughs> there's a lot of humor, <laughs> like, um, and that's just, like, sometimes you can just, like, get super serious about, like, oh, like, I'm queer and trans and my life is difficult, which it is true, but it's nice to to talk to someone who's like, 
as you've said in this conversation, I don't really know why people are trans. Like, I don't, like, I don't know, like, how that makes sense. no idea. Um, yeah, someone who's, who's on the journey, who knows the mess that's involved physically and emotionally. You've been incredibly caring and loving and also, you know, just telling me like it is of like, sweat, Eden. There's sweat <laughs> and like and hair everywhere and I think that's been nice. Bye. Moisture, wicking, clothes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um and oh. just bringing strangely enough because you you and I are both such fantasy people um and and live in that world a lot of the time but you have brought me back into reality of like <laughs> And you're not just going to look like that person that you're thinking about because your your body is a different type, and you like that's okay and that's fine. And um, just thank you for that. You you are very welcome. Uh, as I've previously said, I too uh, wished that I could uh, you know there was a magic spell and I would become like like an insanely like hot like model like off the cover of a magazine like instantly and like that would be super great but even if somehow i was a guy and or you know uh had been like my brother been you know born with those chromosomes and that particular kind of body even if i had i still wouldn't look like that i would look like he does uh like my dad does because you know those are the people whose genetics i have um and, and you still I mean, would be non-binary yes yes abs yeah that's oh man i never thought about that oh that's uh, that's deep yeah well before we get into that rabbit trail because cloud <laughs> and i just endlessly endlessly go down rabbit trails which I'm is talking, delightful i talk about things a lot but thank you very much and we will clearly talk again about other fun things on this podcast. Yeah. I do remember having i believe the top bunk uh and you being on the bottom bunk for at least one of the years i think i would never sleep on the top bunk that yeah that would not be who i am so definitely bottom bunk person and see i always want the top for me like the higher up i am the more the, like safer i feel uh it's very much you know, kind of like a primal, you know, like <laughs> instinct from like before humans or hominids lived on the ground and we lived in trees. And this seems ripe for a lot of innuendo. <laughs>